It was in a small, small country church. It was almost time for the service to start, and there were a lot of the townspeople in church that day, and they were talking and just kind of catching up on the past week, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Satan appeared in that church. And as soon as the people saw who it was and realized who it was, they all began to scream and run out of the place, and they emptied the church pretty quick that Sunday. All but one guy, an old guy who was sitting right down front, and he was either oblivious that he was in the presence of God's ultimate enemy, or he just didn't care. So Satan walked up to the old man, and this was their conversation. Do you know who I am? Well, yeah. Everybody knows who you are. Aren't you afraid of me? Nope, I sure ain't. Don't you know that I could kill you with just one word? Don't doubt it for a minute. Do you know that I could cause profound, horrifying, physical agony for you all the rest of your life and in the next life to come? Yep. And you're still not afraid of me? Nope. Well, why not? You don't scare me. I've been married to your sister for the past 48 years. (laughs) And nothing you can say or do would ever frighten me. Now, do you think that couple had some issues? We're in the final Sunday of a series entitled Godly Families. And if I could kind of walk you back through the past few weeks, that first Sunday, remember we had some rocks over here, big tub, one was about three-fourths full, and we talked about the big rocks, the most important things in life, and how they need to get in that tub too, and oftentimes we don't put the important things in until the end, and it was obvious that there was no room for all those rocks in that tub, remember? And then in the other tub, we took those important things, and we claimed them and placed them in the other tub and then we poured the rest of the rocks in and there was more than enough room for all the rocks there is hope for the family and if you trust God he will help you make your home a happier place we talked about how godly families accept instruction we talked about how godly families understand technique and Today, it's all about how godly families endure trials. They don't quit. They hang in there. They don't ever, ever give up. Last week, I mentioned an athlete. His name was Chris Klug. He's a snowboarder, and he has undergone a liver transplant, and I told you how quickly he recovered from that transplant and how he went on to win various events and finally a medal at the Olympics, and it was all because he had the desire to not quit. He had the desire to play through pain and to experience a difficulty, but not giving up. I have come to believe that parents, families that are godly and successful, are those families, those parents that understand that they need to play hurt. How they need to play through pain and difficulty in life. And you know, 
I really think that families experience various injuries from time to time, and godly families understand how to work through those injuries. Now, I'm not naive to think that there aren't people here today who are hurting, who have been hurt because of family issues and family circumstances. Maybe your home today is not a happy place. Maybe you have heard this said about marriage. I was looking for the ideal, but I married an ordeal, and now I'm looking for a new deal. You ever felt that way at your home? At times, I think marriage and family is so hard, and if we don't understand how to play hurt, we will never survive the hard times. So today, if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6, I want to read five verses here. Now, I know what you're thinking. Usually, these verses are used in the context of church discipline. What to do with someone in the church family or how to address the issue if there is a conflict or a difficulty. You see, I've come to believe that the family is the church in miniature. And if we don't get it right at home, chances are we're not going to get it right here either. And I think our church is only as strong as its leadership. And we need to understand that God has a plan for the church family and for the family. And I think there's a lot of things we can connect to this piece in terms of how it affects the family. So if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Brothers, if, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, and then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Know what you're thinking? This has a lot to do about church discipline. In fact, I had a friend call me one time. He was hot off the charts hot he was angry because he felt like there was somebody in our church family that needed to be restored and he wanted me to go and sit down with him and say either shape up or ship out so i said well what about galatians 6 he goes what do you mean the bible says that there is someone who's going through a conflict or a difficulty that we should restore them gently so he asked me what does that mean How long does that take? My only response was, there was a time when I was in a softball game and I caught a ball from the infield like I had done a thousand times. I went around to make a snap tag and I heard something pop in my hand. My ring finger did not do well in the collision. Anybody here ever have a broken bone? It's always a lot of fun, isn't it? I went home that night, I stopped by the Mexican on my way home, and they had to put a cast on my, on my hand and wrist, arm. And When I went home, I had my jersey, I think, over my boo-boo. Debbie said, well, how was the game? Did you guys win? I said, yeah, we won, but I had a little accident, and then I showed her my arm, and she kind of lost it right there at that point. So I told my friend, you know, I, I don't know how long this might take. I had a sore 
broken bone one time, and it took me about six weeks to get through that. When we restore somebody gently, it's a process. He wanted nothing to do with the process. He just wanted it to be fixed. You ever have an issue at home and you want it to be fixed? You're maybe not concerned about the process, but you just want it fixed and fixed right now. As I began preparing for this day, I wrote down the commands that I found in these five verses. Restore gently. Watch yourself. The Bible says when there is an issue, you should carry each other's burdens. You should fulfill the law of Christ. You should test your own actions. And you should carry your part of the load. All from those verses. So when you begin to find yourself experiencing tension or difficulty at home or maybe at church or in any kind of relationship there's two angles this book talks about two roads that you need to follow so that you can have at least a hope of success in restoration the first is your responsibility or my responsibility to myself That's where it starts, and I I know this is probably going to be hard to do, especially with this group, because I'm sure we all come from perfect marriages. We have perfect families. We have perfect kids. Your spouse is the best thing going. I know what you're thinking. I know this is going to be hard, but let's just pretend today that something's not right at home. And I want you to think, maybe, if you can, about one of those moments. And I'm sure you don't have very many, so kind of go way back there and figure up some kind of moment that came upon your house and how you addressed that deal. Maybe the conflict is between parents and children. That couldn't be, could it? Parents and kids always get along. Anybody here have a teenager? God be with you, we've been down that path. Maybe it's a brother and sister. Anybody here have a brother or sister? I know what you're thinking. I love my bubby. I love my sissy, I I know. We always get along, we always play nice. Maybe it's between you and your spouse. Have you ever had a moment? An hour? A weekend? A week? Has it been a month since you've been able to get on the same page? And you know, this first responsibility has to do with us in the midst of the conflict. And it goes against our human nature. Most of us think things like, well, I'll change when he or she changes. Or if she wasn't so moody, I mean, I mean moody, I'd be a lot nicer guy. Those things might be true, but the text doesn't allow us to take that approach. It challenges us first to deal with our own, our own issues. And there's far more material in these five verses dealing with how we ought to handle things ourselves than how we ought to handle things with other people. So let me just share three things out of this first angle, this first slant, that we might be able to put into practice to make our homes a little better and happier places. The first is this. I call it don't follow suit. Don't follow suit. 
The Bible says, watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Now here's what that means. If the other person is doing something that just pushes you to the edge, don't do it back. If they call you a name, let it go. You're a buckethead. Let it go. Don't respond in negative way. If they get angry, don't you get angry. A lot of times with my friends who are going through marital issues, we will talk and I will encourage them not to argue when they're angry. I mean, who argues when you're not? Try to be controlled because you'll say or do things when you're angry that you won't want to say or do, so be careful what you say and do when you're angry. But if you're friend or if your brother or sister or if your wife or husband or if your kids if you're angry be careful what you say and what you do because that's when you do and say things you don't want to do and say if they raise their voice don't raise yours i mean we we think the louder we talk the more control we have or the better we are getting our point across because our person is evidently deaf or hard of hearing and we want to straighten them out. I had a friend who used to say, hey, I just talk loud. So I said, well, quit it. You know, I mean, if you talk loud, if you know you talk loud, and you know that upsets, just quit it. If they stretch the truth, just don't. If they give you the silent treatment, don't give it to them. I like the story of the two kiddos that were out playing, a little boy, little girl. The little boy was a little bit older than his little sister, and mom heard a blood-curdling scream. You know what you can hear, mom, and you know if it's a real scream or a fake scream or a real cry, and she was crying. Mom heard it. She went in there, and evidently she had pulled her brother's hair and it hurt him and he was crying so he punched her and then mom said hey hey your sister's too little to know it hurts when you pull somebody's hair so just let it go mom took off he was still rubbing his head and she heard another scream and she knew this was real she went back and the little guy had this kind of look on his face kind of sinister and then he said now she knows how much it hurts when you pull someone's hair when conflict happens i encourage you not to retaliate in fact the bible says watch it this is a warning don't let yourself be tempted to retaliate the second piece to this part of the puzzle has to do with what i call looking in the mirror this responsibility is explained in Verse 3 in the first part of 4 where it says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. This may be one of the hardest things to do when you're going through a family conflict, but there may be nothing more important or more powerful in resolving the conflict. And here's the gist of it. Before I get too consumed with the other person's faults, I must first evaluate to see if there was any possibility that I had part in this conflict. Now, I'm here to tell you we don't think that way. 
nor do we even talk that way. But Paul is basically saying, look in the mirror. If something's going on, look in the mirror and see if you're part of the problem. He says, test your own actions and your attitudes. And you need to evaluate every conflict to see if it's worth fighting for or if it's just some small little petty thing. Anybody have kids who spill their milk now and then? Is that a big deal or a little deal? I would think it would be a little deal, wouldn't you? Now, if they spill it like 75 times in the same meal, then it's probably kind of a big deal. You have a clumsy kid on your hands, and you need to address those kind of things. Look in the mirror with any conflict, see if you're part of that conflict, and then address things however you can. Be it in the family at home or in the church family, it goes a long, long way. So once you've answered those questions, you're ready for the third area of personal responsibility, and it's called take the lead. Now, I did this in first service. I want to see if you guys are as sharp as the people in first service. When I count three, we're going to say together, take the lead, take the lead, take the lead. Are you with me? One, two, three. Take the lead, take the lead, take the lead. What I mean by that, if there is an issue... In your house, somebody needs to start the healing process, don't they? Somebody needs to say, I'm sorry. Somebody needs to say, please forgive me. Somebody needs to say, I love you. Whenever I do weddings, I often throw those phrases in the ceremony somewhere. Those of you who have done your ceremony, you know the deal. We will talk in counseling, and those three phrases I want you to wear out in your marriage. I'm sorry, please forgive me, and I love you. And then I usually throw in one more, let's go out to eat, because that fixes a lot of stuff. I don't know why, but it seems to fix a lot of stuff. That's kind of the way we are wired. But someone needs to take the lead or to carry the load. Verse 5 says, each one should carry his own load. I know what you're thinking. Hey, when he says he's sorry, I'll say I'm sorry, but not until... Or we say things like, I'll give in when he gives in. I mean, that's the way we think. We're kind of wired that way. So I know this kind of goes against human nature, but if we take the lead, can we say that? We need to, you guys are sharp. A lot sharper than first service. And if this is being recorded, strike that from the recording, will you? But somebody needs to take the lead. Somebody needs to begin the healing process. And why in the world couldn't it be you this time? I know what you're thinking. I always have to take the lead. I'm always the one who has to give in. So suck it up and just do it, you know? We need to get past that, especially in our relationships. The fact is, if you do your best to fulfill all three of these personal responsibilities that we have discussed, it still might not fix things. But you've got a better chance. So that's where it starts. The second slant, the second angle has to do with your responsibility to others. My friends here today who are in law enforcement, again, they tell me that one of the most dangerous things they will encounter is going to one of those domestic conflicts where family is fighting. Anybody here have a brother or sister? I have one brother, he's older than I am. 
when we were growing up, if you messed with one of us, and if it was a big deal, then you messed with what? Two of us. That's the way it worked. I don't know how many you have in your family. Sometimes we were outnumbered, just two of us. And I wished then for a larger family. But, you know, we're kind of wired that way, but family conflict is a dangerous thing. And Paul mentions two things here. He says, remember to keep things in control when you're on the verge of being out of control. And here's how we can do this. Number two, we need to confront with sensitivity. This is actually the first thing Paul mentions in this discussion. Verse 1, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, you who are mature, should go and restore them gently. The word for restore here was a medical term used back in the day. It had to do with setting a broken bone. Now I saw earlier some of you have had broken bones. When that happened, did you want anybody touching you? No. Back in the day, they didn't have a whole lot of anesthesia. So they had to set the bone without a whole lot of help. Had no basketball injury, and they were going to go in and scope my knee. Finally, that was going to happen. I was just glad they found out what it was, and I was glad they were going to try to fix it. And I thought in my mind... When I go in there, I'm going to fight the anesthetic. Okay, that was weird. I know that was weird. But I'm thinking, hey, they want me to count back from 100? I'm going all the way, baby. 199, I was out. I mean, out. And you know what I was glad? I was glad I had that anesthesia in me because it removed a lot of the difficulty. Early in my years here, I've had some wisdom teeth taken out. Have you ever been there? I thought I would save the Clarks a few bucks. They said, hey, do you want to be completely under, or do you just want a little local shot? I don't know if they even do that anymore, do they? Where's my teeth people? Do they? I recommend you going completely out. Even though I couldn't feel it, you know, when they're on top of your chest and you hear the stuff busting around in your head, it's better to be out. That word means to set a broken bow without anesthesia, to restore or to be gentle with your approach, to confront it with sensitivity. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way, By doing so, you will fulfill the law of Christ and you will be pleasing to the Father. So when you first read this thing, it seems to be in conflict because it has to do with confronting people when they are in the wrong and carrying a burden. This last piece of the puzzle, when we're going through an issue, when we are confronting people, our responsibility to others is not just to take, take care of them gently, but it is also to do it in loving service. With that type of mentality, we are doing this because we love them. And we will not deter from that because we have love for them. Now, I know this has probably never happened in your house, but have your kids ever done something that you just had a hard time forgiving? Has that ever happened? Have they ever said, probably not in your house, Mama, I don't like you. Or what the heck, I hate you. Has that ever happened? 
Big people, you ever say those kind of things to your parents when you were growing up? Have you ever done anything since you're a big person now that maybe your kids would not approve of or maybe your parents not approve of or maybe God not approve of? You know, there was an Old Testament prophet had a wife named Gomer. (laughs) For real, Gomer. I want you to close your eyes for two seconds and tell me what kind of picture comes in your head of a woman named Gomer. Duh! You know? She had evidently a strong sexual appetite. He knew that when he married her. After they were married for a while, she decided to go and pursue or to feed her appetite. She was a prostitute, and God said, hey, man, cut her loose. Enough's enough. Her name is Gomer. Is that what God said? He said, go get her. Go get her and bring her home. And the two of you can still have happiness in your home. I'm not sure I would like to marry a woman named Gomer. Nor am I sure I would go after her the way God expected. You see, there are times in our lives when life is hard. Our homes are not happy places, but God wants us to be happy at home. Have you heard anything about the Mars One space colony? It's kind of weird. I went to a website this week, and on that website, I mean, this came out in June of 2012. Over 80,000 people have signed up to go to Mars someday in 2023 from over 120 countries. When I first read that, I thought, you know, I would like to sign a few people up to go to Mars. <laughs> now, I know you don't think that way until I mention that, and I know right now in your mind there's a few people you'd like to send to Mars, right? This is what really intrigues me about space travel. If you have a spaceship trying to rendezvous with another craft, it actually has to slow down to catch up. You see, if it speeds up in space, it goes to a higher orbit, and in order to connect, you have to slow down and fall out of that orbit and catch up. And you know what I thought? I bet you if we just slowed down at home a little bit, we would have a little easier job of catching up. Anybody here busy? Ladies, if you pulled out your little calendar, your little day planner, it would look like a drunk chicken walked everywhere over that thing. I mean, we have so much stuff going on. We are busy people. Understand if your home has a chance to be a happy place, you had better slow down and listen and talk and love and hug like there is no tomorrow. I don't know if we've ever finished a service this way, but I'm going to give it a shot. Could we all stand up? I want you to raise your right hand and repeat after me. I will do my best to make my home a better place.